Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. So this is a very exciting episode that I have here. Um, I have a couple guests here that uh, are joining me. And uh, before we talk about that, um, you're going to look and say, oh, there's two more white guys that you're talking to, Steve. What's the deal here? Well, okay. I looked at the analytics of my channel and... Uh, it's high amount of males watch my channel and it only makes sense. I'm a male host and I'm only have entered interviewed males. And so I just want to give my audience a little sneak peek of what's coming up here. I have um, a guest named Katie Langston and she wrote a book called sealed an unexpected journey into the heart of grace. Uh, very interesting story. I, I've got to read these books and then we're going to have them on. And then I've got an interesting book called liminal sovereignty. Mennonites and Mormons uh, in Mexican culture. And that's by Rebecca Jansen. And she's actually a Mennonite. So, uh, and then of course, I'm gonna have Sandra Tanner coming on down the road. So I got two white dudes here, but we got, we're gonna bring some diversity into the mix as well. I wanna th welcome my guests, Paul Nurnberg and Matthew Eklund, who are with the podcast, Outer Brightness. And it's a very uh, fascinating podcast. And I had the honor a few weeks ago to be interviewed by them. And uh, it was a really wonderful experience. I didn't know what I was getting into because when I first started this channel, I was like, I don't know how evangelicals are going to like my approach, but so far so good. And I just want to welcome uh, both Paul and Matthew to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. So um, <clears throat> I just thought we can talk a little bit about your backgrounds because this is what's really interesting. Uh, Outer brightness, of course, is kind of a play on the, the, the term uh, outer darkness. And uh, Matthew and Paul are uh, formerly uh, were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, they both have very interesting stories to tell that led them out of it and into uh, conventional evangelicalism. And so this is a, uh, what they decided to do was create a podcast that kind of intersects those worlds of uh, the restoration and Christian, you know, conventional Christianity, and have a conversation. Sometimes they'll have like uh, guests like Jackson Washburn, who I had on, uh, who's LDS, and then they'll also have people who have left the faith, and then have people from other different faiths on. So it's a fascinating podcast. I'm going to uh, first discuss a little bit about your backgrounds. Uh, Matthew, uh, you were raised LDS, and uh, you found your way out of the, the LDS church. Uh, just give us a little story about your background. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having us on against you. Uh, yeah, so my background, I uh, grew up in northern Utah, so Pleasant View, North Ogden area, and my parents, uh, well, I spent most of my time in North Ogden, and I was kind of raised in the Latter-day Saint Church. I attended since I was young, but I was not baptized at the age of eight, actually, so I attended, and our family had kind of, you know, spurts of inactivity, and we weren't really practicing at home in terms of reading, you know, the scriptures or having family home evening, those kind of things that most Latter-day Saint families do. So uh, by the, when I turned eight years old, the question of baptism never really came up. So I, I wasn't baptized. I continued to attend church and I kind of asked about it later. I was asked, well, you know, if I want to get to heaven, do I got to be baptized? And my mom said, well, yes, you probably should be baptized. So I thought about it a lot and then decided to have the missionaries come teach me. So I was taught by the missionaries and I was baptized the same day as my sister, actually. She turned eight. Uh, she's two years younger than I am. So we were baptized the same day. So that was kind of an interesting, neat experience. So I, I am, I was technically a convert, I guess you could say, but uh, I grew up in the context of the LDS church. And then, uh, you know, through years, I, I, I 
was ordained to the Aaronic priesthood, which is the lower priesthood that they receive at the age of 12 and did baptisms for the dead in the temple, which is very common for LDS to do when they're older than 12. And I was, I was in a varying levels of activity throughout the church, um, but I kind of went into inactivity. could say pricked by my conscience i guess and i kind of was searching for truth searching for reality and a long story short i kind of came back into activity in the church i read the book of mormon and then i prayed for a testimony and i felt at that time that i had received a testimony and decided to serve a mission so i put in my mission papers and i served from 2007 to 2009 in the belgium brussels netherlands mission which is uh, a mission that comprised well at the time it comprised all of the netherlands most of belgium and a part of northern france so it was kind of two missions in one, really, because one, one side spoke Dutch, one side spoke French. So I came home, uh, you know, served in various callings throughout the years, teaching callings in Sunday school in particular and in primary. And I started to, started to really study history. I started to study the LDS history uh, from people like uh, uh, Dan Vogel. I really liked his books, and I, I really liked um, just kind of re-examining things that I had been taught in church because it seems like a lot of history is not very well and, and you know very deeply taught when you're in the church itself so like re-examining all these different historical events like the restoration of the priesthood and the coming forth of the book of mormon and the three neat witnesses really really challenged my faith and i had a lot of doubts and questions and these doubts and questions just kind of grew and grew and grew and i feel like the lord was you know he's pulling me and he's all oh, dragging me really <laughs> through all these doubts and questions i had and um just got to a point, you know, long story short, just got to a point where I felt like I had to make a choice between, am I going to believe what I feel like the Bible is teaching about justification, you know, whether we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, or if I need the priesthood ordinances of the LDS church. And I felt like I couldn't have both simultaneously. And so uh, when I kind of went to that crossroads, you know, that was when I felt like God was really putting it forth in my mind that I really need to make a decision whether to, you know, whether to continue on my path in the LDS church and try to make it work or to leave and go somewhere else. So that was in uh, 2017, where I finally made that final decision to resign from the LDS church. And since then, I've been attending a uh, Reformed Baptist church, which I'm a member of now um, in upstate New York. So that's kind of a long story short of my background. Very interesting. So just uh, what, besides saying you were predestined, what made you decide uh, to go into the reformed tradition yeah <laughs> thanks for uh, i wasn't gonna make that joke better <laughs> but uh, thanks for pointing that out uh yeah um it was it was at a time when i was questioning and i was watching a lot of debates you know christian debates you know, you know inter interfaith debates you know between jehovah's witnesses and christians and uh, lds and, and christians evangelicals and so uh, I, I started watching a lot of those debates, and I, of course, when you watch debates like that, you'll run into James White. There's a lot of debates. He's debated. Uh, the first debates I saw were him with the Roman Catholic, actually, on the priesthood and uh, the papacy. And so uh, I was drawn toward him in his program. He has a dividing line program where he kind of addresses you know, social, political issues as well as doctrinal issues. And so there was, there were. I would just go through and listen to what he was saying, and I would try to counter what he said. And he was going through John six, you know. And he's just going step by step through John 6. And I was really struggling with it. You know, I was, I was really trying to understand it from an LDS perspective when he was reading through John 6. And I really just couldn't, I couldn't reconcile the words on the page with what I wanted it to say. You know, it was, it was something I really struggled with, John chapter 6. And so just the way that he, just the way that he went through the text verse by verse, I just, 
I just got to a point where I was like, I, I can't, you know, I, I see God drawing us to him. You know, I don't see this as me making a decision, you know, of our own free will apart from God drawing us, you know, it, it just seemed, it just made so much sense to me when I read that. And so since then I got, I was introduced to resources like Ligonier. I started watching a lot of the teaching series from Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, Stephen Lawson and all the rest of Ligonier. So that's kind of what attracted me to the reform tradition. Thank you for that that answer. Uh, and of course, for a lot of you who maybe aren't super familiar, the, the Reformed tradition is uh, associated with uh, what is called Calvinism. The founder was John Calvin. And uh, so that's that's the path that Matthew is on, is, in, is within that uh, stream of evangelicalism. Now, uh, Paul Nuremberg, um, also of uh, uh, here, um, he is, has a story to tell as well. And then uh, we're going to talk about where he ended up as well. So, uh, Paul, let's talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks, Stephen, for having us on your show. Um, so, yeah, so I, I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, into a uh, Mormon family. Uh, my dad was a convert as an adult. Um, he had grown up uh, a Lutheran uh, and uh, occasionally on alternating weeks would attend the Baptist church that was nearby because my grandfather worked every other Sunday uh, in, another, in another town. So when he took the car every other Sunday, my grandma took them across the street to the Baptist church because it was close. Um, and my mom uh, goes back to pioneer stock. My great, great grandmother on that side of the family uh, came over from Denmark uh, in the 1860s. And with her daughter, her oldest daughter pulled a handcart across the plains to Utah and eventually settled in Idaho. So that's where my mom is from. Um, but I grew up for the first nine years of my life in the, in the shadow of the Salt Lake Temple and the uh, Utah Capitol building. I, I, we lived on 8th North between 3rd and 4th West. So we could see, uh, you know, downtown from where we lived. We walked up to the top of our street. And um, then uh, when I was nine, we moved to the suburbs to West Jordan. And I grew up there uh, for the rest of my adolescence. Um, during my teenage years, I was in and out of activity in the LDS church. Uh, didn't always get along with some of the other kids in my ward. Um, most of that was probably my fault because I was kind of a hellraiser as a teenager. I got into a lot of trouble. I had some friends who were not uh, Mormons or who were lapsed Mormons, and um, we tended to cause a bunch of trouble in our neighborhood. And so it caused us relational issues. And uh, that kept me, uh, like I said, in and out of activity in the LDS church. Uh, until a, a time when, um, you know, I started to become aware that uh, I was a sinner, that there were things that I was doing that um, probably weren't appropriate according to the LDS church and according to uh, God's law. So, um, you know, that, that caused me quite a bit of anguish and grief. Uh, it caused me some doubts. I started to worry and wonder, you know, does God even exist? I would have uh, nihilistic thoughts and uh, at night a lot of times, and that would worry me as well. Um, and there was a time that I went to just kind of a routine interview with my Mormon bishop on a Sunday afternoon after church. And he asked me if there was anything uh, in my life that uh, needed confessing to the bishop. Um, as a Mormon youth, you're taught that certain sins are so serious that in order to repent fully, you need to confess them to the bishop. So uh, I knew that there were some things in my life that that would have required uh, that, that level of confession and repentance, but I lied to him and I told him no, uh, because I was very uh, conscious of, so early, earlier in my life, I had, I had been arrested and uh, due, to, due to some vandalism committed by one of my friends. And um, the bishop at that time had 
barred me from partaking of the sacrament. And that was a very uh, embarrassing experience um, for me because you're, you're kind of like seen by the community as not partaking of the, of the Lord's Supper. And so everybody kind of wonders why and starts whispering and it, it, it's very embarrassing. So uh, Paul, um, how, yeah. how old were you when this happened? When I was arrested? Um, probably, I think I was 13 at the time. Yeah, so um, my friend had had committed the vandalism, and me and another friend of mine were arrested as well as accessories. So um, yeah, so I had to go through the whole juvenile court system and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't jailed or anything like that. I was released immediately to my parents' uh, reconnaissance. But um, it was a it was a situation where, like I said, I, it was a very embarrassing experience. It, everything went down on a Sunday morning while everybody was walking to church. And so they saw the police officers at our house. It was uh, not a fun time. Um, but I, I, you know, I thought it's strange that um, one, I didn't think what I had done was so bad because I had tried to stop my friend from doing what he did. I, I you know, my friend and I chased him out of the house and tried to stop him. Um, and two, uh, I didn't think that it necessitated me not taking the Lord's Supper. If it was something that required repentance, then I needed uh, every means of grace that, that the Lord would give to us. And so it seems strange to be barred from taking the sacrament. And so that, that experience, you know, leading into also me constantly getting in trouble uh, and having relational issues with the, the other kids in my ward, um, that kind of led to that in and out of activity stage. But um, this other time when I was with uh, this, this bishop, it was a different bishop, and I had lied to him and I told him, you know, no, there's nothing in my life that is going to require confession. Um, and I left his office that day and started walking home. And it was a hot summer day in Utah. And it just felt like the flames of hell were licking at my neck because I knew that I had lied to him. So I kind of turned around and walked back to the church building and sheepishly knocked on his door and told him that, you know, there was something that I needed to confess. And I confessed to him and he got tears in his eyes and listened to me. And when I was done, he said, he asked me if I, you know, was really hard on myself over the things that I had told him. And I said, yes, you know, it's driving me crazy. And um, he said, you know, I, I think that God has already forgiven you for that, for those things. And I've told um, evangelical Christians that story and, and, and some have expressed doubt that a, that a Mormon leader would tell me that. Um, but all I can say is that's what he told me. And it was, it was a situation that, um, for me, it was kind of the first experience that I'd had with the grace of God, rather than the wrath of God. Because up until that point, I was all, all, all I was running over in my mind was the wrath of God. And um, that really helped me. And so, you know, that kind of brought that experience kind of brought me back into activity over the next several years. And uh, to the point where, um, when I turned 19, um, or when I was getting ready to turn 19, that same bishop, you know, asked me, did I want to serve a mission and kind of led me through the process of submitting my mission papers and, and going on a, on a Latter-day Saint mission. Um, so I did that at 19, uh, left and went to the MTC in uh, April or May, May of 20 or May of 1997 and um, spent a few months there uh, because I was studying Hungarian, getting ready to go to Budapest, Hungary. And um, then I went off in uh, July of 1997 to Budapest and spent two years in Hungary uh, preaching Mormonism and 
had a few experiences on my mission where um, questions were raised. I, I already had some questions. I was already someone who struggled to uh, fully accept the, the claims of Joseph Smith, First Vision, uh, Golden Plates, Book of Mormon. Um, I, I really tried to accept it, um, but I was one of those people who in the MTC had major questions and to the point where I had talked to one of my teachers and he handed me a copy of uh, Boyd K. Packer's talk, The Candle of the Lord, um, in which he says, you know, that the testimony is to be found on the bearing of it. Um, and he basically suggests that you just keep bearing your testimony until you get one. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, he, I, I viewed him as a leader. He was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. So uh, he was someone I should listen to. And so I, I followed that advice. And I went on my mission and I just kept testifying, hoping that at some point I would receive that witness that, that Joseph Smith was a prophet and the LDS church was true. Um, but this one time, I, um, my companion and I were tracting in this area, uh, and it was, it was a beautiful uh, area of, of just single family houses. Um, but it, in the center of it was a large square park in the middle, beautiful statues, flowers. Uh, and on one side of the square was a large Catholic cathedral. Um, and we would, we would go through there on the bus every day, tracked around the, in the family house, you know, single family houses. And uh, one day we, we had an appointment that didn't show on us. We went to their apartment, they weren't home. So we decided that we would head back down there and start tracting. And on the way down, my companion says to me, hey, I think I think we need to give a Book of Mormon to the priest that preaches that's uh, in that cathedral, the Catholic priest in that cathedral. So, you know, and that's kind of as a, as a Mormon missionary, that's kind of uh, I don't know. You probably wouldn't want to just walk into a priest's office and try to give them a Book of Mormon. But in any case, that's what we decided we were going to do that day. So we went to try to track down the priest, went to the cathedral. It was locked. Um, went to went around the side to. Uh, a little side building that looked like it might be the rectory. Um, knocked on that door, nobody answered. The gardener came around the corner and asked us what we were doing. Uh, we told him we were looking for the priest. He told us that the rectory was actually a block over. So we went to the rectory and tried to offer the priest a Book of Mormon. And um, he, his secretary led us into his office. We sat down, he came in. Uh, he was a younger gentleman, probably in his 30s at the time. And he asked us what we wanted. We told him who we were, want to give you a Book of Mormon, uh, testify what, about what the Book of Mormon was. And he said to us, you know, I, I appreciate it, but why would I want, uh, why would I want that? I already have the Bible. And I thought that was kind of a strange thing for a, a Catholic priest to say, because they, you know, they tend to put reliance on tradition as well. But um, that kind of got me questioning, you know, why, why do people reject the Book of Mormon? I already had my kind of questions and doubts that I was rolling over in my head, um, but that was an experience that made me question. Another one was uh, meeting a young Baptist missionary couple that we tracked it into and they preached grace to us one afternoon. And I remember leaving uh, and kind of recognizing that their message was similar to uh, what my bishop had said to me, uh, but it was dissimilar to the, the broader message that you get from the LDS church. Uh, which is, as Matthew pointed out, you, you need the works and the ordinances. Um, it's not just uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So um, came home from my mission with, with lots of questions, um, 
signed up for uh, the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies from Farms to try to answer some of my questions. Uh, struggled reading through some of their materials because a lot of them just walked back previous claims that were made. Um, and then I met my wife online and she was from the Cincinnati area and she had just converted to Mormonism from a Southern Baptist family. Uh, she was baptized two weeks actually before I got home from my mission. And uh, so we, we met, got pretty serious. I moved out here to the Cincinnati area, recorded. And then in uh, the year 2000 in May, we were married. Um, and we were active in the LDS church up until May of 2010. So 10 years together of our married life. We were married in the Bountiful Temple. And um, I started having, you know, started really searching out my questions and got to the point in probably early, earlier, sometime in 2001, where I didn't believe I didn't think I believed in God anymore, because my, my faith in the LDS church was crumbling. Um, and from that point on, I started to try to build on Jesus alone, like make Jesus my foundation. And uh, while I was doing that, I did still try to find answers to my questions. We were active in the LDS church. Uh, I sought out answers to my questions and um, eventually got to the point where I couldn't find answers to the questions that I had. Um, and I didn't believe, realize I didn't believe in the LDS church anymore. So then the question is where to go from there. Um, and we landed in an independent Christian church uh, that was across the street from, from our LDS ward house. And we've been there since. Uh, I remember us talking one time where you uh, said that uh, you're, you would look across the street and you'd see all these happy people coming out of the congregation and you avoided that church for the longest time because you didn't want to be seen by uh, the people across the street going that, to that church. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that particular independent church, I guess, is kind of affiliated with what maybe some uh, LDS would be familiar with would be the church that... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you have your tradition comes from the Alexander Campbellite, uh, the Campbellite tradition. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes, so, the Independent Christian Church has come from that. Mm -hmm. So, and so that's the that that's the area that you felt led to go into that church. Now, you were you were actually baptized into that church, correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Um, we started attending in in uh, the summer of 2010, and then the following summer in 2011, uh, my son and I were baptized. Do you feel that you had, when do you, do you, of course, there's so much different theology here, but, um, you know, the conventional word is, um, are you a born again Christian or did, when, when did you become a born again Christian? Hmm. You know, that's a good question. Matthew and, and Michael asked me that one when we were doing our story episodes of our podcast. Um, I think I became a born again Christian while I was still a Mormon um, because it, it got it for me once once I started to build say I'm, I'm going to build on the foundation of Jesus then from that point forward everything was was about Jesus for me um, and like I said I still tried to find the answers to my questions and there was a point at which I realized that Joseph Smith for me was an idol that was keeping me from really diving into relationship with Jesus and and so that's you know I, I like I said I believe I was a born again Christian as, as, as a Mormon. Well, that, that's very interesting. So Matthew, um, what about you? Would you say that you had an ex like a born again experience? Yeah, so I would actually say that, so I mentioned that in 2017 is kind of when I felt like I reached a crossroad where I felt like I had to decide whether I'm gonna follow what the Bible teaches versus continue with what I'd been taught as a Latter-day Saint. 
And so it was actually the, year, the summer prior where I felt like I had my born again experience because um, it was, I'd already been in a lot of questioning and doubting phases, you know, since about 2015, 2014. Uh, and I kind of just pleaded for God to save me, you know, like, I was like, I don't know what, what to believe right now. You know, I was like, if the Trinity's right, I'll believe that. If the LDS view of God has right, I'll believe that. You know, I kind of I just like threw my, myself at the feet of the Lord uh, for mercy. Um, and after that, I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like kind of like I was like a born again Mormon, you know, it's like, Hey, I can make this work. You know, I can, I can continue to make this work in the other church. And like, but I kept running across more and more, you know, things that just kept, kept bugging me and kept, you know, pulling me. So yeah, I felt like it was summer of 2016 when I had that experience where I just, you know, threw myself at the feet of the Lord and just, you know, prayed for him to save me, you know, trusting nothing else, just Christ alone. So, uh, as a result of your experiences you had, and I want to I want to talk to my audience real quick too. I, the purpose of this channel is not I'm not trying to proselytize. I want to talk about the entire spectrum of the restoration, and that includes people that have perhaps moved out of the restoration. Some have chosen the path of atheism. Uh, some have chosen the path of uh, Catholicism, or in this case, these are gentlemen who would be categorized within the evangelical tradition. And so I want you to hear their stories. But I also want you to understand that this is not a channel to bash. This is just a place for, for them to be able to tell their story. So you guys decided now, of course, guys, there was also there's other people involved as well. Um, you, got, you had these former Mormons who have now um, entered into Christianity and you guys decided to uh, have a podcast and it's called Outer Brightness. And so just you guys, both of you, Paul and, and Matthew, just uh, feel free to um Explain to me what was the germination of this wonderful podcast that you guys have. Sure. Thanks, Stephen. So as I said, I was baptized into um, the Independent Christian Church, uh, Churches of Christ in 2011. Uh, that fall, uh, I, had, I had been feeling a call to, um, to ministry, so to speak. And so that fall, I entered a seminary at Cincinnati uh, Christian University. Uh, Cincinnati Bible Seminary, and I began studies uh, towards an MDiv in Biblical Studies. And um, towards the end of my degree program uh, in 2016, I was um, starting to think about, you know, what does what does ministry look like for me? Um, I had a, an almost 20-year career in the health insurance industry, and didn't see myself turning away and walking away from that. I had always kind of viewed what ministry would look like for me would probably be bivocational, but I didn't know whether it would be in the local church, uh, parachurch ministry, what, what that would look like. Um, and as I was kind of thinking through that and wrestling through that, uh, a good friend of mine uh, who I had met online, who was a, a Mormon apologist named Michael Flournoy, uh, he was going through his own transition out of the LDS church. Uh, he had written a book called A Biblical Defense of Mormonism. He had gone on the unbelievable uh, radio program in Great Britain to debate with Lynn Wilder, uh, Michael Wilder's mother. And he had been on another program in, in Great Britain to uh, debate uh, a gentleman named Bobby Gilpin. So he did a lot of stuff uh, to try to defend the LDS church and then um, ended up leaving himself. And he was going through that, and uh, I was really close to him at that time, um, and we became really, really good friends. And so, uh, you know, sometime in around 
around 20 end of 2017, maybe I, I pitched to him the idea of doing a podcast together and asked him to start thinking about what that might look like. Um, and he said, you know, he was just newly married and needed some time uh, to spend with his, with his wife. So he, he said, give me, you know, several months before we really look to kick this off. Um, and then as we were having conversations about it, he said, you know, there's this guy, Matthew Eklund, that I think would be a good uh, third co-host for us. So we reached out to Matthew and invited him on and started having the conversations. Um, we landed on a name that, that Michael suggested, which is Outer Brightness. Um, as you mentioned earlier, it's a play on outer, outer darkness because um, people who leave the LDS church are, are considered apostates and, and bound for outer darkness. Um, so we, we call our podcast Outer Brightness because the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without, from the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So Matthew, I have a quick question for you. Since you guys done the podcast, uh, can you uh, mention to me maybe one or two of your favorite guests that you've had on? Well, I'm a little bit biased because uh, we had two fellow Reformed Baptists that also came on to talk about my favorite subject, which is covenant theology. So, I mean, I've got to give it to them, right? So I would be, um, uh, man, Darren Caldwell and Ben Hines, and they're at pastors at a Covenant Grace uh, Church in Utah. Um, so, yeah, I had actually attended their church while I had gone home to visit for the holidays. So I talked to them and they were, they were sprinkling in little covenant theology things in their sermon. You know, it wasn't a sermon about covenant theology. They were just talking about salvation and how God, you know, he redeems people in the covenant of redemption. I'm like, oh, I got to talk to these guys. So definitely it would be that episode. It's probably my favorite in terms of guests. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, Paul, tell me a couple of your, uh, your favorites. Uh, well, I really enjoyed having you on. Uh, that episode's going to be coming out this week. Uh, that, was a, that was a fun conversation. Uh, got to share some things about my, my experience that I hadn't shared previously with anybody. So that'll be fun. Um, we had a, a Christian apologist on named Vocab Malone. Uh, he's pretty well known uh, in the debate circles, uh, does a good job uh, debating, but doing so with love. And um, another of my favorites was, was Paul Cardall. Uh, he's a Dove award-winning uh, composer. And he was a Latter-day Saint and has become a Christian. And that was kind of a big deal. And he kind of came out publicly uh, as a Christian last year. And so we, you know, I, I kind of reached out to him on a whim, not thinking he would be interested in coming on. And he very graciously agreed to come on. So that was fun. Wow, that is interesting. Uh, see, Matthew, he got the answer right because he, he, he mentioned my name. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I failed the quiz. Sorry. Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I really, I, I had the opportunity when I first, uh, you know, you guys approached me on Facebook and you, you came to me and invited me to come on and um, it was really cool. And, you know, and Paul alludes to uh, something he, he reveals to his audience, to your audience for the very first time. And I think it's really cool because, you know, so often I've been finding on my program is a lot of things are happening organically and uh, it's very real when it actually happens as the person is watching it. Like to give you an example, I was I interviewed somebody yesterday. The interview I, I, with with Patrick McKay, and I'm uh, who's out of Independence, Missouri, and he's going to have a Book of Mormon rally on May second, and just right on the air. I didn't know anything about the Book of Mormon rally. He said, "Why don't you come and speak to the Book of Mormon rally, Steve?" 
I'm like, yeah, okay, if the airfare's cheap enough, I will. Uh, in other words, it's very real. And I think Paul's Paul's experience was was really cool about how um, I don't want to. I'm just spoiler alert. I'm not going to the big reveal. You got to watch it. It's just so cool. I think it's just so cool what happened there. Um, so this the podcast itself. You guys have done five or six what, five seasons now. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting myself off of mute. Um, yeah, we're wrapping up the fifth season of it now, um, and we'll be going into the sixth season uh, here in a couple of weeks. Okay, okay. And then, uh, do you? What kind of response do you get from like LDS? And this is for Matthew or Paul uh, from LDS people. What kind of uh, responses have you been getting from them? It's it's mixed. Um, you know, we we don't uh, sugarcoat or hide our our thoughts uh, about things, um, but we do aim to be a safe place. So for example, there have been Latter-day Saints who have been willing to come on. Jackson Washburn has been on. Um, we're gonna have a, hopefully a few others coming on uh, in the near future. Um, the, the idea behind the podcast really is to be a resource to allow for uh, better understanding for Latter-day Saints who are committed to their faith. Uh, so better understanding between Latter-day Saints and evangelicals, but also, uh, a resource for Latter-day Saints who may be questioning or have left the LDS church and, and want to uh, investigate what would it look like to continue to walk with Jesus rather than turning away. Um, we want to be that kind of safe place where people can land and, and learn and, and hear from two people who have been through that process. And we've, we've also kind of, uh, we've, we've kind of had a similar mindset to how you've described your, your, uh, you know, your program is that we, We'll oftentimes have people on our program that we don't agree with, you know, uh, theologically or, you know, in terms of how we understand scripture or whatever. So, yeah, we, we do want it to have a, be a place where you can have a conversation. Um, when we also had uh, Michael's brother. He's an active Latter-day Saint. So um, he came on the program and we, and we just released an episode about how to have conversations with your family members who are of a different faith. You know, if one's, L, you know, if you're LDS and your family's non-LDS or the opposite. So yeah, we, we want it to be uh, useful, but we, I mean, we as born again Christians, we also feel the call to bring, you know, to call other people to Christ. So I think we would have a more of a little bit of an evangelical, you know, kind of invitation to come to Christ bent than, than maybe, than maybe you would have for your program. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, I guess your nickname is the nuclear Calvinist, correct? Correct. <laughs> and uh, do you mind telling us how you got that name? Well, yeah. So I, so I have a master's degree in nuclear engineering from University of Utah, and I'm working on a follow-up graduate degree at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. So I'm studying nuclear engineering and yeah, I'm a Calvinist. So I guess I can't remember. I think it might've been Michael that came up with that. He, we were trying to come up with nicknames for everybody and Paul kind of already had one. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm nothing special. And Michael's like, oh, I'll just call him the nuclear Calvinist. So I think that's kind of how it came about. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. When I first heard your podcast and, I heard nuclear Calvinist. I'm like, oh boy, I better gird my loins. This guy is going to, he's a flamethrower and I'm just going to have to deal with it because I'm not doing things this, the way you're supposed to, I guess, you know, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, that's the background. And uh, that that's just really cool. And it's, it, it, and of course I, I used to be, you know, Calvinist, but like I told you guys, I, uh, I used to be Calvinist. Then I, then I found Jesus. Uh, but the, then also, uh, but I also, uh, I, I still think like a Calvinist, 
you know, so I very much have that mindset. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's just, I kind of journeyed a little bit out of Calvinism, although I appreciate it. And you've, you're, that's where your faith stream is. And uh, I find that to be very interesting. Uh, Paul, what, uh, what kind of crazy names uh, do you and some of your other partners have on the show? Yeah, so Michael, Michael is the ex-Mormon apologist. He's taken a, a step back from the podcast to focus on his career, um, but he'll still be a, a semi-regular contributor, come on occasionally to talk about things. Um, and uh, we started out just going with my nickname as Paul Bunyan, because that's what uh, everybody called me when I was a kid, because I'm six foot seven. I've always been taller than everybody else. So um, we started out with Paul Bunyan, but then uh, Michael suggested that we move it over to the apostate Paul. So that's kind of where I've landed now. That's cool. That's cool. So, you know, uh, Paul, it was really interesting. Uh, again, thanks. Thanks again for having me on your podcast. It was so awesome. And I'm looking forward to listening and listening to it finally uh, this coming Sunday. Um, that would be Sunday, July. July 25th. July 25th. And that's in the year 2021, in case you're watching this in the past. And so that's a two-parter that you'll be uh, releasing at that time. Well, Paul, you had made an interesting comment, said, Steve, uh, we'd like to come on and perhaps talk about our podcast, but because you're a book review channel, um, why don't we agree to talk about a book? And I thought, you know, I kind of like that idea. And so we all kind of brainstormed a couple of weeks ago, and we decided to talk about the uh, one of the big ones, uh, Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling by Richard uh, Bushman. Uh, of course, uh, my listeners know that I've had uh, uh, Dr. Bushman on my program. Uh, he's one of the most prominent Mormons there, are, there is, especially within the uh, scholarly community. And uh, I bought this book in, well, let's see, probably 2007, 2008. And I read it at least two or three times. Um, and I just really, really enjoyed the book. I, I just, for me, the book's not big enough. It could be twice the size. It was, you know, that's just how much I'm into this, this kind of stuff. Um, now, both of you, uh, Paul, you read this book while you were still LDS. Just tell me a little bit about the context of what that was like reading it as an LDS member. Yeah, so I mentioned that um, after my mission in in the, probably a year and year and a half after my mission, I really tried to dig in and, and answer the questions that I had about uh, LDS doctrine, LDS history, and got online, got into some different discussion forums, and uh, pretty quickly had my faith in the LDS church shattered. Uh, my shelf broke, so, so to speak. All the questions that I had just weighed down the shelf to the point that it crumbled. Um, and I said, I you know, I started to rebuild on Jesus, but I still tried to find the, the answers to the questions that I had, but I didn't want to read um, from quote unquote anti-Mormons, right? I wanted to read history and doctrine from faithful Latter-day Saint sources. So for example, I have uh, Fawn Brody's No Man Knows My History. I never, I didn't buy it until after I left the LDS church and I still haven't read it. Um, so as I was doing my studies, I tried to stick to faithful LDS sources. And Richard Bushman uh, was about as, as faithful as you could get. At the time that he published this, he was a serving patriarch, stake patriarch. So he would give patriarch ble patriarchal blessings to people within his stake. Um, and 
yeah, so I, I read his book. Uh, I think I got it. I think it came out in 2005, if I remember correctly. And I, I had put it as soon as I knew it was out, I had put it on my Christmas list and I got it for Christmas from uh, my wife. So, um, and then, you know, went to see him speak at a fireside in our stake in 2007. I'm going to hold this up because so you can see I, I got it signed in April of 2007. Um, it was wonderful to see him speak. He spoke that night about uh, Joseph Smith's city building uh, in particular. He, he's done massive amount of research on that aspect of Joseph Smith's life. And so uh, that was a fascinating presentation. Uh, afterwards, I went up and had him sign my book and, and spoke with him. And I told him that, uh, you know, he and um, Eugene England, who is another uh, LDS author, had their writings had kind of kept me in the LDS church, had, had kind of made me feel like there was a place for me, even if I wasn't in a a quote unquote, uh, orthodox, uh, LDS believer at the time. And he was very gracious and shook my hand and, and told me that he thought, uh, Gene, as he knew him, as he knew Eugene England would have, would have loved to have heard my comment. Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, both of us have had our interactions with Mr. Bushman. I had the opportunity to meet him at the Mormon history association and I met him and his wife and, uh, I just felt completely at ease to ask him to come on my program within two minutes of introducing myself to him and he agreed to it. And um, there are a lot of people who are very surprised that I landed somebody like that on my program. And it, I just remember as the MHA was ending, I went back up to him and I said, now a couple of days ago, you said you'd come on. I just want to make sure you, you oh, absolutely. I want to come on to your program. And that really touched me. And um, and I saw, I find him to be a, a very decent man. And oh, his wife, she's going to be the incoming president of the Mormon History Association. He's 89 years old and is still sharp as a tech. Really just a brilliant man. And uh, Matthew, I would like for you to tell me a little bit about your impressions of the book. Now you had said you had read the first little bit of it while you're LDS. Um, and then you actually uh, re-engaged the book recently. So in that context, tell me, uh, what did it feel engaging Joseph again uh, from being an, uh, as an outsider now? Yeah, it, getting back into it, I tried to have a very fresh approach to it. I tried to give it a chance and not, there's a tendency, at least, especially for me, when I'm reading something to read it critically in terms of, you know, trying to nitpick every little aspect of it and say, well, does it include this or does it include that detail? And that was still on, the, on my mind. You know, I was wondering if uh, Mr. Bushman would include certain details that, uh, from certain accounts, you know, in, in church history that might seem controversial. And I, and I was wondering if he would kind of smooth or gloss over those or, you know, just kind of dismiss them. So I, I had a lot of thoughts in my mind, but I just read, I just listened to it, you know, an audiobook, And I just thought, okay, I'm just going to try and listen to this. I mean, you, you can't completely get rid of you know, your past and your history and your experiences when you're reading a book. But I just wanted to go through it and think, okay, you know, I'll just take it in and just, you know, listen to it and try to get the, the I guess you could say the spirit of what he wanted to put in the book. And so kind of my impressions is going through it this time. Uh, it seemed like he genuinely wanted to share a historical view of, you know, Joseph Smith. I didn't feel like he just completely glossed over facts or details. He even addresses controversial or, you know, critical uh, theories about maybe the, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon or uh, certain visions of Joseph Smith. 
he 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 at least mentions these, even if he doesn't give a really long you know treatise of all these different views. But I feel like he tried to take all the facts and try to understand it from a believing Latter Day Saints point of view. And I think I think he did I, I think he did a very good job at trying to do that. Um, I, I would have some some comments on certain things that he wrote, but I do feel like he he tried to give a very a much more deep look into Joseph Smith's past and in his mind and maybe his motivations behind things than you would get as a Latter-day Saint, you know, attending, just simply attending sacrament and then Sunday school, where you don't really get into a lot of these depthful, you know, these deep conversations about, you know, maybe his motivations or maybe his trials and struggles. So I, I think overall is a, it's a really well-written biography. Let me ask you a question. Um, after reading it, what did you feel, how did you feel about the man, Joseph Smith? I feel like there is never going to be a biography that can fully encapsulate the man himself. He's kind of an enigma. <laughs> uh, I think when you're, you know, biographies from, you know, from Mr. Bushman, you know, from a believing side and critical, you know, biographies of him, you know, like with Fawn Brody. And I have her book also, and I read the first several chapters and I got a very critical, you know, understanding, you know, a very critical uh, point of view from her you know obviously um it's like i don't know i don't think you can really pin joseph smith down as a person uh he's he's just very enigmatic very interesting and you know it kind of gives credence to his statement that he said the basic please correct me if i'm wrong but he basically said that no one really knows him no one really truly knows his thoughts and i and i think when we're trying to dive into it he's just so interesting and charismatic and i think there are many times when he does show compassion and and, you know, he, he really is sincere about his beliefs. You know, I don't think he was really trying to deceive in the sense that he thought it, it was all fraud in, in that sense, you know. I feel like he was a believer in what he, in what he was teaching. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a long way to answer. But he's just a very interesting character and, and someone that I, that I really enjoy thinking about and learning about and talking about. Yeah, so, uh, of course, No Man Knows My History. I've read this a couple of times. I'm going to make a controversial statement, and I'm going to state that I actually prefer Rough Stones uh, Rolling Over, um, Fallen Brody's book, which is, by the way, is a fantastic book, and deals, does still stand up to scrutiny, although it is a bit dated because she does try to throw some Freudian stuff in here. And I also, you know, there's one thing I don't like is when there was this time when secular writers would just be very like, oh, nobody really believes in any of this. And they're just, they just, they're very cynical. And sometimes there's a little bit of cynicism here where she doesn't really think that Joseph really believed. And I believe that Joseph really believed. So in that context, and so, and, and so she doesn't have the understand, understand the mindset of a believer. And so that, that the way she writes sometimes just kind of, it's like, oh, fingernails on a chalkboard, you know, the, her attitude about people, religion in general. Um, Paul, uh, what did you think of the man, Joseph Smith, um, when you read this book uh, as an LDS and now as outside of LDS? Yeah, good question. So as a, as a young Latter-day Saint missionary, I recognized that I was going out to the world uh, not just to preach Jesus, right? I was going out to the world to, to preach uh, Mormonism uh, in particular, and that included uh, Joseph Smith, right? So I, I would be trying to, to convert people to believing 
that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And because I recognized that, um, I really dug into trying to understand him uh, as a person, uh, as the fountainhead of the faith that I was representing as a missionary. Uh, so I did a lot of reading. Bushman's book was not out at that time, um, but I did, you know, a lot of as much reading as I could in approved missionary sources uh, to try to understand Joseph Smith. So that was kind of limited to uh, Truth Restored by Gordon B. Hinckley. Um, Our Heritage was a really, really small book that was kind of a history of the church and of Joseph Smith. Uh, I read that. And um, then the Institute Manual, Church History in the Fullness of Times. And those are kind of the three that I dug into as a as a missionary to try to understand who Joseph Smith was. And I came away from that study experience really feeling connected to him as a seeker. So I, I felt like he was a seeker and I was a seeker uh, after truth. And so that's, that's kind of how I related to him as a man uh, at that time. Um, later on, uh, kind of recognizing that, you know, as, as you, as, as I went on as a missionary and, and, and taught and, and preached Mormonism, you kind of realize it all hinges on him, uh, from, from a Latter-day Saint perspective. Uh, if, if his experiences really did happen, if he had the first vision, if he received golden plates from an angel and translated them, uh, into English as the book of Mormon, if he had, uh, John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John appeared to him and lay hands upon his head to restore priesthood authority. All of that hinges on all of that, all of the truthfulness of Mormonism hinges on those experiences. If they didn't happen, then, then uh, there's no need to be a Mormon. You can be a Christian of any other stripe. So um, in that sense, I, I realized I really had to, to answer the question for myself. Do I believe that, that he had those experiences. Um, and that, you know, that led me to reading Bushman's book for the first time as a Latter-day Saint. And I remember standing up, uh, I don't know how many pages into the book I was, but he makes a comment at, at one point about uh, critics coming up with um, humanistic explanations for Joseph Smith's experiences. And uh, I remember standing up in fast and testimony meeting and, and talking about, you know, my experience reading Bushman and you know, the critics try to come up, as I've basically quoted them, the critics try to come up with humanistic reasons for for believing it or for, for his experiences. But, you know, I know that he had these experiences and, and bore my testimony. Um, as I got further into the book, um, I was really challenged with, uh, because as Matthew said, he doesn't kind of, he doesn't really shy away from um, the difficult aspects of Joseph Smith's character and history. Um, and, you know, I kind of got to see those for, for the first time because those aren't really included in some of the more hagiographic uh, books that are put out by the church. So his book really challenged me. And I, I would say by, by the time that I was done reading his book, uh, I was no longer uh, a believer in Joseph Smith. Hmm, interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it, one, one thing I will say that in my engaging with scholars, the common criticism that I've heard is that they felt that he didn't cover polygamy and polyandry as well as he should have. He maybe just threw a paragraph there, here and there. So that's, I know we were all saying good things about the book, but I just do want to acknowledge the fact that many uh, critics feel like that was, he did kind of gloss over that in some regard. Um, you know, uh, let's jump, jump in there if you don't mind. Yeah, um, no problem. Because it's something that stood out to me listening 
through the book um, over the last few weeks because I, Matthew and I both kind of decided we would plow through the audible version, which is unabridged. Uh, so 29 hours I, I spent while mowing lawn and doing other things, <laughs> listening to, uh, to, to Bushman's book. And um, I, was, I was actually surprised listening back to it, how forthright he is about um, like Fanny Alger um, and some of, the, some of the things that he said in letters uh, and proposals to uh, women um, that that are kind of thorny to deal with. I was I was surprised because I, I didn't remember that he had gone that in depth with it. One thing I will say about that though is he, you know, he he covers men like Robert Matthews, uh, Matthias the Prophet, uh, John C. Bennett, and James J. Strang, all all three men who taught similar things and and had similar practices with regards to polyamory and polygamy, and um, you know, the one thing that he does do is he, he, he covers those men, but gives Joseph Smith the benefit of the doubt, uh, where he doesn't give the benefit of the doubt to the other men, um, because Joseph Smith didn't either. So it's, you know, I, I guess if there's a criticism, that would be it. Um, but I, I was surprised at how in-depth he, he did go on some of the difficult things related to polygamy. So just quickly, Matthew, just name me something as you've re, re engaged the book, um, something that sticks out that, that a take something an interesting uh, story or something in the book that comes to mind that you found was interesting yeah i took a lot of notes when i was uh, going through the book and there were a lot of things that uh i thought were interesting in terms of uh the chapter on the book of mormon in particular because he talks about he talks in great depth about comparing the book of mormon to the bible and how you know it's it's written um like the Bible has a lot of books that are just narrative and then just prophecy, but the Book of Mormon is kind of a mixture of both. Like, you know, it's all narrative and prophecy. Um, but he's very candid about how the Book of Mormon speaks about how the Bible is. And, and I don't know why I remember this word, but he said that the Bible is deficient or that's, that's the way that the Book of Mormon describes the Bible is that it's deficient. And um, he talked about, uh, you know, the criticisms of racism in the Book of Mormon, you know, in terms of the, the cursing of the dark skin of the Lamanites and things like that. And, and so I think he, I think he just, uh, he represented the Book of Mormon in a very traditional way, I think, that most LDS were taught to, to believe about the Book of Mormon, that to see the Bible as kind of like a secondary document is something that can't really be trusted. And that was kind of refreshing to me, actually, because uh, Paul and I, we, we do apologetics, we talk to Latter-day Saints a lot, and, and many of them will say, I believe every word of the Bible, you know, it's all inspired, and, and you know, they'll have very, very uh, high views of the Bible, and I'm like, well, that's not what I thought about the Bible when I was Latter-day Saint. So I don't know. It was it, for me, like I said, it was refreshing to see um, how he treated, uh, you know, how he treated the Book of Mormon itself in terms of how it relates to the Bible and Christianity and how it seems like it was written in that day. You know, it's talking about contemporary issues of Smith, you know, infant baptism and uh, paid clergy, things like that. Um, yeah. So so that's one thing that really sticks out was was that chapter I found really fascinating. Yeah, I, I actually just read that chapter today. Um, I'm a Book of Mormon guy, just I'm fascinated by the book, so I, I, I enjoyed that chapter. Uh, uh, one thing I want to point out is the thing that really, one of the things that really struck me was knowing that he was a faithful Mormon and knowing that this book was being sold at Deseret Bookstore. And in the Book of Abraham part, he, he says in here, the Book of Abraham is an apocryphal book. He calls it that. And I was so blown away about that because to me, I thought that 
seems to be something that the church is allowing that that bold of a statement to be sold in their bookstore. So that that really struck me. That was something that really struck me. So Paul, real, real quick, uh, give me something that really struck you. Yeah. Um, so I think Bushman is a is a really able storyteller and biographer. Um, he uses emotion and, and, and logic really skillfully to move the reader to a sympathetic view of Joseph Smith. Um, and as Matthew said, Joseph is somebody who is an enigma um, because he, the things that he did um, are not, it's tough to imagine that somebody would do and go through all of the things that he went through uh, without being a believer in his own story. Um, so you have that, but, but you also have uh, someone like James J. Strang who did very similar things for a similar time frame, following Joseph Smith's death and, and while claiming to be Joseph Smith's successor. Um, you know, city building, uh, polygamous lifestyle, production of scripture, um, all of those things James J. Strang did, the same as Joseph Smith did, um, but he's not really viewed as successful uh, as Joseph Smith, um, which I find interesting. Um, but I think something that stands out to me from the book, uh, this to go around is the the march to the Zion's camp march um, and, you know, Joseph Smith's activity there in trying to remedy the loss of land that the Latter-day Saints faced in Missouri. Um, you know, he had prophesied that, that the land of Zion was to be built uh, in uh, Jackson County, Missouri, that that's where the Lord would return uh, for the second coming and that, <clears throat> All of that had to be done for the second coming. So he was he was kind of invested in in trying to get those lands back. Um, but the way that Bushman uh, kind of talks through that episode and 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 shares the documents and and the kind of the day to day of the of the camp and the walking, you know, the the what stood out to me is the the damage to their feet from walking, you know, better than twenty miles a day, um, and you know, that Joseph Smith did that with his men and he didn't shy away from that. It wasn't like he stayed in Nauvoo and, uh, or in Kirtland and said, you know, you, you men go try to win back the, the lands in Jackson County. He, he went with them. So yeah, I agree. He's a, he's an enigma. Um, there are a lot of things about him that I don't think I'll ever understand. Um, but that stood out to me this, this go around. So, uh, Paul Nuremberg, Matthew Eklund, uh, I want to um, just really tell you how much I appreciated you guys having me come on to your podcast, Elder Brightness. And I'm very excited to share the, the audience. Now, basically, just so you just to give you a preview, a lot of it has to do with talking about the, the, the gifts of the spirit operating in the modern church, but also, and then part two, we talk about um, 
gifts of the spirit, uh, charismatic type gifts operating in the early days of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as well. So I think it, it's a good history lesson. And plus you get to get that uh, reveal about Paul, which uh, is very exciting. I think it was a really cool thing that happened there. Um, so gentlemen, I want to thank both of you for coming on. Uh, I want all my uh, subscribers to uh, check out uh, Out of Brightness podcast. I'm going to leave a link in the description. Uh, and then, of course, once the videos are, I mean, the podcast episodes are released, I will also provide a link in the description to those as well. Uh, I also want to remind my audience to like and subscribe. Uh, and make sure you ring the notification bell so that you will be told, you'll know when a new video comes up. And uh, everybody, just again, Paul, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Stephen. Matthew, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. And you guys have yourself a great evening.